speaking in the next part of our Antioch series that uh, James started last week. And this Antioch series, the church in Antioch, uh, we are calling uh, the first Christians. Christians right at the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago, what they did and what we can learn from them. And today we're looking at the theme of think globally, act locally. So as we kind of start to think about global and nations and kind of international mission, all that kind of stuff, before we do that, to get our minds kind of in the zone for that, um, what I want you to do is to turn to someone near you and share with them, if you could visit any country in the world, what would it be? If you could visit any country in the world, what would it be? Turn to someone near you and share what that would be for you. All right. Any uh, any odd answers? Any strange kind of slightly surprising answers? Hannah, what you're putting in Nicole? Nicole's always going to be a weird one. Nicole, what is Syria? Syria. Okay. Cool. Syrian food. I need to I need to try that. Great. Okay. Any other any slightly other weird ones? No. What 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 was that? Japan, okay, nice, nice. We had some this morning at Elton when I was speaking there, I say Galapagos, which I'd never even heard of it, but apparently they have massive turtles there, or tortoise, I don't know the difference between the two to be fair, but, uh, and I asked if anyone had been there, and Tim Windsor Brown, if you know him, he has been to Galapagos, so uh, if you want to know about that place, don't know where it is, but great tortoises, tortai, or whatever the technical for plural of tortoise is um, but yeah I think for me I'd like to go to the Arctic I've seen a lot of David Attenborough recently in the Arctic and I'm like you know I want to hug a polar bear so Arctic is uh, I've heard they're very cuddly and they love human beings so uh, I think the Arctic would be good but when I was growing up, uh, my, my kind of childhood, we were always talking about different nations as a family. And my parents have been missionaries. They'd gone to other countries to tell people about Jesus. And so part of our kind of childhood was just hearing their stories about being in other countries. And we would hear about missionaries in other countries and what they were doing. We actually had um, a globe money box on the middle of our table. And uh, if either my brother or I finished our food, our reward was we got to put one P in the globe money box. And then every few months when the globe was full, we'd send it off to missionaries in different countries. And that was our way of one, I guess, trying to encourage us to finish our carrots and two, trying to remember that there were people in other countries who we could pray for and support who were trying to share the message of Jesus with others. And we'd have their pictures on our fridge and we'd have little newsletters that my parents would read to us at mealtimes that they'd send out every so often. And so I was growing up always hearing about different countries and missionaries in those places. And we would hear stories of, of famous missionaries, people like Hudson Taylor, 
someone like Gladys Elwood, we'd hear the stories of those people going to other nations. And today we are looking at what it means to think globally and acting locally. Because the truth is, whether you're someone who goes to another part of the world and shares about Jesus, or does it just with your neighbourhood, each one of us is called to be a missionary. Each one of us is called to share our faith with other people. And in reality, actually, the, the kind of tools, the method of doing that doesn't massively make a difference if you're staying here or going abroad. I was chatting to some friends of ours recently who are um, going off to be missionaries and they're trying to plant churches in a part of North Africa where it's illegal to be a Christian. And we were chatting to them over Christmas and said, kind of, so what do you do? Like, what's your strategy for sharing your faith? Like, how do you do it? And it's really interesting because they said, well, we kind of meet up with people in coffee shops and, you know, chat to people on the street and invite people over for dinner. And I find that really interesting. So I was like, yeah, that's kind of the exact same thing that we do here where we are. So whether you're going to go to North Africa or you're just going to stay in New Eltham, each one of us is called to be a missionary to those that God has placed around us. And today we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11. And here we uh, find out more about how this church in Antioch were able to share their faith, to share the good news of Jesus with the people around them in a way in which is still very relevant to us 2,000 years on. So we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's Stephen who was martyred, that arose over Stephen, travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So from just this short passage, we can take so much that we can apply to our own lives right now in our areas where we live. And we can see three things through it. First of all, we learn that we need to, one, get to know people, two, get to know their stories, and three, get to know Jesus. So first of all, we learn from this passage the importance of getting to know people. Now, if you just read those verses and you don't really know the history or the context of Antioch, you might not think it's particularly profound what was going on there. But it was. Why? Well, until this point, the message of Jesus, the good news, had just been going to the Jews. We see it in that passage. It, it says in that first bit, the first verse, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So the gospel had been shared with Jews by Jews. And that's how it had been spreading. But in this moment, a few people, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they started to share the gospel with Hellenists, with the Greeks, with non-Jews, with Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, this was a massive deal because Jews didn't interact with Gentiles. You didn't hang out together. In fact, it was a big deal to kind of separate yourself from them to remain holy. 
So much so that even Peter, when he's given this vision, you can read about it earlier in Acts, Peter, the disciple, the apostle, he's given this vision. It's all a bit weird and wacky. You can read about it of, of like a kind of sheet coming down with a load of animals on it that they weren't meant to eat. And then basically the end of the story is you can now eat bacon. That's kind of the general gist. But it's basically there to say that now as Jews, you can interact with and share faith with non-Jews, with Gentiles. But even Peter, who had that vision, we read later in Galatians, when he came to Antioch, he actually got rebuked by Paul because he wasn't interacting with the Jews in an equal way. And Paul was like, come on, Peter, you know better than this. The gospel is now for all. But for, for Peter, this Jewish man, that to just be kind of be normal and to share faith with someone who wasn't Jewish was just kind of a massive mindset change for him. And so what happened just in these few verses we read was pretty groundbreaking. The gospel going out to Gentiles, and praise God it did, because if you're non-Jewish like me, then it meant that the gospel has come to you and I. Now we might say, you know, it's great that we don't really live like that anymore. You know, we don't, we don't kind of just uh, hang out with or share faith with people like us. But I would argue that I think that some of the tendencies and struggles that people had 2,000 years ago are still very much the same for us. We can see it in the ways in which we often interact with those who are from the same race or social class or the same kind of story and culture We see it often, you know, just even practically after church. What's our natural tendency? I feel it myself too. It's like I speak to the people I know who are usually people like me. Or I look at my social life. You look at yours, your diary. How often are you hanging out with people? It's like, wow, if if people on the street saw you two together, they'd be like, wait, how do you know them? No, because so often we hang out with people who are like us, from the same kind of background, into the same sort of things. And trying to act cross-culturally like these early Christians did is even harder now because just building relationships with anyone is getting harder. Even in the last few years, the number of interactions that we have with one another has dropped massively. Many of us in this room who two, three years ago were used to maybe going to an office or a workplace every single day, traveling on perhaps a bus or a, a train or a tube, surrounded by people, then turning up to an office surrounded by people, have now moved to having a commute that involves you going from your bedroom to your lounge. And the number of interactions we have with one another has dropped massively. So trying to build relationships is a struggle. And we also know that we live in a, in a sort of society, especially in the London area, where people don't really talk with one another. It's not like neighbours are kind of walking past each other in the morning like, howdy neighbour. Like, that's not a thing. People don't interact. Like my neighbourhood uh, where, uh, where I used to live with, with Ben and Josh and others, like people just didn't interact. And we found that. Um, I think I've shared this before, but we had two neighbours who lived just a few doors apart on the terrace, who despite having lived on the same terrace of houses, a matter of maybe the distance from me to that wall, despite having lived that close to each other for over 30 years, had never met one another. So much so they didn't even recognize each other's faces when we invited them over for a party. I had to introduce them. They've been there 30 years, thousands of days, never interacted, not even seen each other. That's where you and I live. That's the air we breathe. And so in that context, we try and think, how on earth do we share the good news of Jesus? Well, the Church of Antioch teaches us that we need to be intentional. 
We need to step out of our comfort zones. It would have been so easy for these men to be like all the others around them and just hang out with people like themselves. But they said, no, there's a need here. And so we're going to leave our safety, we're going to leave our comfort, and we're going to walk across the room, as it were, and speak to someone and invest in someone and love someone who isn't like me. It's what the church, the first Christians, teach us. The church in Antioch teaches us to be intentional. It teaches us to get to know our neighbours, just speaking practically on that. It's not easy, is it? We talk about, you know, Jesus says, love your neighbours. And we say, well, that means everyone, obviously. And it does mean everyone. But it also means your neighbours. The people who live either side of you, they're included in that too. And sometimes that can be easy. Sometimes that can be hard. I remember uh, Ben and Nat and I, when we lived together just around the corner from here, we decided we were going to try and get to know our neighbours by delivering some brownies to them. And they were like, come on, me and Ben didn't bake because that would not have been a blessing for anyone. But Nat was a good baker. And we baked all these brownies and we knocked on, I don't know, 20-odd doors. And it was just a great moment to see people's faces light up as a stranger knocked on their door and gave them a gift. That doesn't happen anymore. Didn't always go to plan. There was one uh, house that we knocked on, wasn't there, Ben, where they said, no, I I don't want your brownies. (laughs) Maybe they looked at us and thought, what have they put in these brownies? I don't know, who knows, but uh, more brownies for us, I guess. But it's great, five years on, one of those neighbours who the door we knocked on, I, I still hang out with and see pretty regularly. She's in her late 80s, she's come to this church a dozen times, she was at a wedding, praying that one day God will really break into her life and she'll be here every week. But it's great, just from that little moment of knocking on someone's door, going outside our comfort zones, a relationship was formed. Catherine and I have seen that in our current block of flats. Again, no one ever interacts. We're the newest to the block, and now we organise all the social events, and people find it confusing, but they love it, and they come along. And it's been really cool, uh, just before Christmas, one of our neighbours who we thought didn't really like us because he lives underneath our flat, and I think we make quite a lot of noise, he, uh, he came up to us and said, uh, would you like to go for a curry with me? And we said, yeah, of course. He said, it's actually tomorrow night, and it's a tribute act. And uh, this is down at Jalshu Tandoori, if you've ever been down there. Top quality curry. And it turns out, top quality tribute night. And uh, we turned up, and we got to meet, in the flesh, Michael Jackson. And you can see him here. We've got a picture of uh, Michael. Uh, There's Peter, our neighbour, me and Catherine, and the real Michael Jackson. Uh, And uh, it was emotional stuff. It was very powerful. But it was great because here is us walking, just knocking on a door. It's scary because sometimes people aren't always the friendliest. But if you never take that risk, if you never step out of your comfort zone, you never see the blessing of God opening someone's home, opening someone's life to you, and you never get to go to a Michael Jackson tribute night. So, you know, lesson learned. So get, you can take that off now. It's going to get distracting otherwise. <laughs> so get to know people. Get to know people. You'll be surprised by how many people are lonely and are happy to talk. So secondly, get to know their stories. Firstly, get to know people. And secondly, get to know their stories. Let's read verse 20 again. It says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now note, it says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And it's worth saying that because they didn't preach Christ Jesus. 
You say, well, why does that make any difference? Well, when people were sharing, when Jews were sharing faith with Jews, often the entry point they'd use was Jesus is the Messiah. See, Jews uh, believed in a promised, a prophesied Messiah, a chosen one, an anointed one who had come and saved the people. And so when they talked about Jesus, they would say, Jesus is the Messiah. But what happens if you go to speak to some Greeks who don't believe in the Messiah, a promised and prophesied one, you say, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And they say, yeah, we don't believe in that stuff. But instead, they talked about Christ, the Lord, Jesus, the Lord. And we see Paul doing this um, in parts of Acts, the Apostle Paul later in chapter 17, when he's in Athens in Greece. And he quotes some of the Greek poets to them and shows them that he understands their culture and he understands the kind of narratives that they believe. He then also notices as he's in Athens that there's just statues, idols everywhere. And he sees one that has a a kind of inscription that says, a statue to an unknown God. And then later when he's speaking with all these guys and sharing faith with them, the entry point is, he says, hey, I've noticed, men of Athens, that you have all these statues, including one to an unknown God. And you know what? You can know that God. Jesus is the unknown God you're looking for. And he uses an entry point to share in faith that they would understand that was relevant to their context and culture. See, that would be weird to, to share in Jerusalem, just like going from Jerusalem to, to, to Antioch would have been weird to talk about Jesus the Messiah. See, it's the same gospel, it's the same message. It's just using a different entry point, knowing the questions people are asking, the stories they're believing, and how Jesus is the answer to their questions and their heart's desire. See, it teaches us that we need to know the people we're reaching. We need to know their stories. Because the questions that people are asking and the stories that they're living in have changed. Let me illustrate this a bit. Back in the 1950s, a man called Billy Graham was the most famous Christian on the planet. And it's predicted that Billy Graham has spoken live to more people than any human in all history. Billy Graham toured the world doing stadium events, doing massive crusades where he'd speak to thousands. We've got a picture of, oh, it's already up on the screen, a picture of him in Trafalgar Square, speaking to the masses in 1954, I think this was. We then have another picture of him in Wembley Stadium in our capital, speaking to 120,000 people, a sold out crowd. And at the end of his sermon, he would uh, give this message of salvation and say, come forward if you want to be saved. And thousands and thousands became saved. I've heard countless testimonies of my parents' generation who said, I became a Christian because of Billy Graham. But here's the thing. Is the, the kind of thing we all need to do. All right, guys, we are going to book out Wembley. We're going to get the next Billy Graham and we're going to get everyone there. Is that just what we need to do? Well, the thing is this, studies have shown there's an organization called Barna who do a lot of research that people now are very skeptical of any kind of public preaching, whether that be on the street or in stadiums. In fact, studies have shown that they're one of the worst ways to try and share with the average person. Instead, most people, while some are open to that, most people report being uh, most open to hearing about faith through a casual one-to-one conversation or a group conversation. 
And the questions that were being asked in Billy Graham's day and the message he was given is no longer particularly relevant to us now either. As I said, Billy Graham preached a message of salvation from sin. That was his main thing. You can be saved from your sins. But even that is no longer relevant or helpful even in our context. How so? Well, Tim Keller, in a really helpful free short ebook that you can get today called How to Reach the West Again, he explains this. Past evangelistic strategies assumed that nearly everyone held this shared set of beliefs about a sacred order, that there was a God, an afterlife, a standard of moral truth, and a sense of sin. We might call these the religious dots that evangelists could assume in their hearers. Evangelism was simply connecting the dots that listeners already possessed in order to prove the truth of the gospel. This is the key bit. Today's culture believes the thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. Let me say that again. Today's culture believes that the thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. What's that saying? It's saying back in the 50s and previously, back in Billy Graham's time and for many, many years, People believed in certain kind of religious elements, as it were, or Keller calls it these kind of religious dots. So people believed that there was a God, that there was a supernatural. People believed that there was right and wrong. People believed that there was an afterlife and a judgment. And so there were these kind of components in place. And so the job of an evangelist, the job of you or I, was to help people connect those things to the gospel, And so when Billy preached a message of, you are a sinner who needs to be saved, people felt that sense of shame and, yes, I want to be right before God. I want to experience salvation. But everything's changed. Because the message is now, the only thing you need salvation from is anyone who tells you you need salvation. See, the worst thing you can say to someone in 2023 is that, What they do, what they believe is wrong. Because you nowadays can define what's right and wrong. There's no moral absolute. There's no God who's telling you. You can define your identity. You can define things that used to be black and white, now up for grabs. And actually, if you believe it to be true, it's true. And anyone who tells you that you're wrong and not perfect the way you are is the one you need salvation from. And so actually, rather than being inspired by a message like Billy Graham used to preach, of you can be saved, instead, no, you need to be saved from people like him who tell you you're a sinner. Because sin definitely doesn't exist. And the only wrong thing to do is tell someone that they're wrong. So what on earth do we do? Because I thought that the gospel was that people were sinners who needed salvation. So how are we meant to share the gospel if people don't believe they need salvation? Should we just give up and think this is a bit pointless? Honestly, there's been times I felt a bit like that. It's been like, this is just hard work. Like, I feel like we're starting from miles back than back in Billy's day. Like, if only we could just, you know, pack some people in the crowd and do a nice little talk. Do we just give up? See, I I think we can have this idea that we live in a post-faith culture. That people no longer need Jesus. That people have kind of graduated. We've got kind of more intellectual now. We understand that, of course, there's not a God and all that kind of stuff. And we're no longer religious. We've kind of moved on from that. 
But as Christians, we know that all of us were made to worship. All of us were made with a kind of, a few weeks ago in Luke's testimony, he talked about like a, having a God-shaped hole in his heart. Each one of us is designed to worship our creator. And when we decide that there is no creator, that there is no God, all we do is create other gods. We just create other religions. Your neighbours, your colleagues, your families and friends who say, I don't believe in a God. No, they do. They've just made their own. There's gods everywhere. We worship gods as much now as we have ever. You see it in the way in which people are still searching for meaning and purpose. You see it in the ways in which people sacrifice their lives on the altar of wealth and comfort and fame. You can see it in political movements. It goes beyond just being, you know, I vote for this part. It's like, no, this is my identity. And if we're not in power, then it is going to be hell to pay. You see it in the environmental movement. You see it in social movements where they become this kind of religious entity. You see how there's new sacred symbols created. The cross might have gone, but there's new things that have to be hung above buildings to show that you worship the right God. You see it, the enforcing of strict dogmatic beliefs. If you dare question some of the religious beasts of the beliefs of these new organisations, then you can get cancelled, ostracised. You're no longer one of us, and we will go to town on you on Twitter until all of your life is ripped to shreds. New enemies created. New sins created. New prophets in their podcasts. People look into the heavens, look into the stars. I'm amazed by how many people now are loving and obsessed with star signs, with the horoscope. It's got huge, especially among a lot of young people. You might hear about people talking about manifesting. We've ditched prayer, but now I'm the God and I'm going to manifest my destiny. I'm going to get prosperity for myself. I don't need God to do it. I can do it because I'm a God. See, people haven't removed their need for God. They've just created new gods, new religions, new altars to worship on. And so, brothers and sisters, we don't need to be discouraged because people are still people. The yearning in people's heart for purpose and identity and more is still there. We just need to learn the stories, to listen to the questions and know how to tell that Jesus is the answer. So what are some of those new questions? What are some of the stories that your friends and neighbours and colleagues are believing and asking? Well, I think one of the biggest ones when we look at films and songs and TV shows, and can I just encourage you, when you are watching films and TV shows and listening to songs, be listening with a kind of a second question mind, which is what are people believing? When you, when you watch the Brits... When you see Sam Smith dressed as a devil and, and, and there's this kind of demonic ritual taking place on stage, what is happening is that goes on on our TV screens. Don't just think, oh man, that's a bit weird, but what is it? What is being communicated in the past fortnight? What is he searching for? What is the longing in his heart? And that as a society, we would want to celebrate such an act. What are some of the stories and questions that are being asked? Well, a big one, Sam Smith all of us in the room identity who am I who am I another big one is freedom how can I be free I want to be truly free to be me 
I want to find who I am and be free from any of the shackles from my parents or my culture or my gender or my class or anything I grew up with. I want to be free. How do I experience true freedom? And so what are the responses to those things? Does Jesus have a better story? Yes, he does. See, we believe that we want to find our true identity. We believe we want to experience true freedom. But the message of Jesus is that you won't find those things from looking within. The message we can give to culture is if you think that just kind of doing enough soul searching will make you happy, will help you find out who you really are, that is exhausting. Which is why you see people who are desperate to find out inside themselves who they are, they have to get the affirmation of everyone around them to affirm what they believe. It's not this kind of independent identity. No, people are crying out for affirmation, whether it's social media likes or society describing you in the way that you want. Or if your identity is found in your appearance, as it increasingly is with our social media age, what if you start to grey or wrinkle Or you can't afford all the other treatments that people are getting. What if it's in your ability, in your sporting, and you get an injury, or you just get old and slower? What if it's in all these different things and success and your parents being proud of you? And then you do all you can and it's still not good enough. See, if we try and find our identity in things, in ourselves, it's such a weak foundation. Yet in God, the one who made you and loves you and is delighted in you, whether you are a winner in sports or in career or in any of those things, whether you have all the likes in the followers or none, he delights in you. You are the pinnacle of his creation and he gave everything for you. That is the identity that you can have in Christ. There's just so many different stories, so many different things that we can invite Jesus into in conversations with our barbers and hairdressers and friends and families. Like, for example, human rights. What about the plot holes in what our society and the people around us believe about human rights? See, we believe that all humans should have rights, but why? If you're just a clump of cells, why do you deserve any rights? Well, I heard an atheist recently say, well, it's because you provide a function for society. That's where you find your value. And a a Christian pushed back on him and said, well, what about the the person with severe disabilities who actually takes more from society than they give? And this atheist professor, big dog on YouTube, he had nothing to say. It's really awkward and really interesting. See, if you're just a clump of cells, or maybe your, your, your worth is found in what you can do, then why does the person with Down syndrome deserve to be treated equally and fairly? They don't. But if the person with Down syndrome is made in the image of God, if they are sacred, then they deserve every right. They are fully equal. But our world has no answer for human rights, which is why human rights were created by Christians and now a massive question around our world and in many nations what about the plot holes in the stories of love and justice like have you noticed how many people uh, who believe in love and justice and seem to talk about it loads or maybe have it in their bio on social media these love and justice people are some of the angriest and harshest people out there how is that 
Whereas the story of God is that we can forgive our enemies, love our enemies, respect those we disagree with. And we can do this because God forgave us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what helps us to forgive those who hurt us and disagree with us. What about how in our society we have this uh, really interesting dynamic where we've had all these medical advances and yet we're more anxious about health than ever. The best healthcare human beings have ever had and yet statistically we are more anxious about our health and about dying than humans have ever been. And yet as Christians we can tell the message of a God who offers us an eternal life, a comfort in chronic pain, a hope beyond death. And what about how we're one of the wealthiest people in the history of humanity, and yet we don't feel like it? How we never feel like we have enough stuff, or we might run out? How we give so little to charity despite having so much? See, we believe that there is a God who is generous with us, who says he will provide all that we need. And so it helps us to live open-handed lives, because we don't just need to get more stuff for us. Actually, the, the Bible teaches it's more blessed than give than receive. And besides, we're not trying to get all the stuff we can for this life because this is but a breath. One day we will be in heaven where our true treasures will be experienced. See, brothers and sisters, I could go on. There are so many stories that are being believed in our world that are not fulfilling. They're not satisfying. Why do you think it is that being so wealthy, we're so anxious about money? Having such good health care, we're anxious about health. That despite being so free with sex in relationships, that people are getting into relationships less and statistically having less sex and being more depressed about relationships. Despite being the most free we've ever been. Because the stories that your neighbours and your colleagues are believing aren't working. The gods they're worshipping aren't satisfying. The religions they're living for aren't fulfilling. And we know why. Because there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life, and that's in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we know that truth, and we can share it with those around us. So get to know people, get to really know them, and get to know their stories. And thirdly, get to know Jesus. Verse 20, it says... But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, just note for a second, what were the name of these people from Cyprus and Cyrene who did all these amazing things? Oh, look, they're not listed anywhere. We have no idea, which I love. Because it shows that this isn't just some kind of expert or elite thing. You know when you can have that tendency to be like, yeah, those are the ones who are the missionaries. Those are the ones who are the evangelists. Those are the ones who share faith. No, this is for each one of us. That means you too. If you know Jesus, if Jesus is in your heart, then you are carrying the message of eternal life. I love that these Men, these people aren't named because this is how it's always been from the start, that this is for ordinary people like you and me. It reminds us of the story in, in Acts 4.13 where Peter and John have been arrested and then they're proclaiming the truth of Jesus to the authorities. 
And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary people, it says in that verse, ordinary people who'd what? Been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. See, what is the qualification for you to be an effective evangelist? To be a powerful missionary in your workplace, in your neighbourhood, with your friendship group? Do you need to have a kind of seven-year PhD in mission or theology? Do you need to be some really articulate speaker? No, we see it again in those verses. The, the secret, as it were, the secret formula is to be an ordinary person who's been with Jesus. Who's been with Jesus. Because the truth is, the qualification for this is having an overflow of love for Jesus. You're not going to want to give away something that you don't have. You're not going to share the good news of Jesus unless you are convinced it's good news. And that's why you and I, the main thing we want to, need to do if we want to grow in sharing our faith with others is to fall in love with Jesus. See, when you are someone who has been with Jesus, it can't help but be an overflow. I know in my own life, the times where I've cared least about sharing my faith is where I feel distant from God. Perhaps I'd ask you if, if hearing this about sharing your faith with others, you're like, I, I'm just not interested. I'd ask you, have you been with Jesus recently? Have you spent time with him? Because for me in my own life, when I remind myself of the truth, or as James often says, preach the gospel to myself, I can't help but want to share it with others. Doesn't mean I always do or always get it right, but just like even recently, just thinking the grace of God in my life. That means I don't have to strive to impress my family. I don't have to impress any of you guys. I don't have to, to kind of get any of this status to be worse. than No, he has called me his son. He delights in me. And the freedom that gives. When I see people around me just trapped in all this anxiety and pain and striving to earn affection and attention, I just think, I just want to see you know Jesus. I'm not just going to send you some inspirational quote on Insta. No, you need Jesus. When you've been around Jesus, you can't help but overflow and share your faith. Ordinary people who've been with Jesus. And that's why I love community so much. Because in community, we have an opportunity to rub off on one another and share Jesus with each other. To fire up ourselves so we can go out into the outside world. Like, as a community, one thing we've started doing recently, which I wish we'd done ages ago, but we've started doing it now, which is most weeks, someone will share a testimony. So someone will share a story about how they came to know Jesus. And I love it. It's one of the best parts of community. In fact, often when they share their story, end up scrapping the plans for the rest of the night and just asking them questions. So then what did God do? And how did that work? And it's just so inspiring. It makes me think, if he can do it in your life, maybe he can do it in my neighbor. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had Ross share his testimony. And it was so cool. It was amazing. I remember when Ross came along to church and he was, by his own remission, very far from God. 
And now just seeing him sharing faith and going for it and hearing again what God did in his life. I'd heard the story before, maybe not every detail, but even though I knew the big picture of the story, just hearing it again. Oh God, thank you. And would you do it in my life? Would you do it in Lynn's life? Would you do it in my colleague? All these different things that it stirs you up. And so if you're not in community, can I encourage you, join a community and share what God has done. Now we're going to pray in a second, but just before we do, I want to just speak to anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's been on a bit of a a journey of faith, and if you're in a church today, then I'd assume that you're someone who is asking these questions, which is amazing. Because most people in society today on a Sunday are not thinking about what can I do to have hope or peace or healing or eternal life. They're probably more interested in all sorts of other things and numbing themselves with Netflix and sports and lots of things I enjoy. But the fact you're here today and asking those questions is amazing. And I just want to say, if you want to know true freedom, if you think that you can find true identity in Jesus, I want to say to you today that you can. You really can. There's no one better than Jesus. There's nothing more free than a life with Jesus. And if you want to know his freedom and the identity he can give, then you can reach out to him today. And we'd love to pray with you after the meeting. So we're now going to just pray for a couple minutes. And I think one of the most helpful things we can do is just to think about individual people. Because we read in verse 21 that a great number who believe turn to the Lord. And that's our prayer. That is my prayer for this area, for the surrounding areas, that a great number would come to know the Lord. But in every great number are individuals, our mums and dads and colleagues and friends, people that you know and I know. And so what we're going to do now is I just want to encourage everyone to, to close their eyes. And what I want you to do is to, to think about someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, who you're around regularly, who you're in regular contact with, who God has called you, commissioned you to, to share him with, and you love to see come to know Jesus for themselves. I just want you to picture someone. If you're not sure of someone, maybe just ask God, God, reveal someone to me right now. And right now, let's just lift them up in prayer to the, to the Lord. Father, we thank you for every face before us in our mind's eye, every name we're thinking about. God, we thank you that you know each one of them. You know the number of hairs on their head. You know their story. You know their question. You know the thoughts they have, even the ones that they would never dream of telling anyone. And Lord, we thank you that you are still building your church. That in 2023, in our neighborhoods, you are still building your church. In our workplaces, in our families, in our friendship groups, you are still building your church. And Lord, we ask, would you break into these lives? Of every person pictured here right now, Lord, would you break into their lives? 
And I thank you that you have called us to be your hands and feet. I thank you that you have given us all authority to share your gospel. And that we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be fearful, and we don't need to be ashamed. Because you are with us. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us and goes through us as we leave this church today. And God, we just ask in the coming days and weeks, would you use us to share your good news and we, would we see salvation? We thank you for those videos of baptisms, of people saying, I, I belong to Jesus. For Eloise's story of saying, I was ashamed to tell my friends that I was a Christian and now I've invited them to church. God, would that be our story? Where there was once shame and fear, would there be freedom and effective power? Come, Lord. Thank you. That's what you do. If Lord, if you can do in Eloise, a teenage girl, God, can't you do it in us? Use us, Lord. Stir us, God. Where we are passive, where we've got dull to this, where most of this talk we thought, I can't wait to get out of this, Lord. Where we once were passionate, once on fire for you, would you fan that into flame again, God? Would you stir a passion in our hearts that this isn't just some nice message. No, this is the only way to be saved. The only truth, that there is no alternative. There is no plan B, God. Our friends, our family members, they need you. So come, Lord, use us for your glory and our good and the good of those around us. Thank you. Thank you.